Hello, welcome to True Hoop with me, Gerard Hector, and I am joined by now three-time returning guest, the host of the Dear Adam Silver podcast, Abigail Smithson. How are you? I'm good, Gerard. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Look at that. I think you you might be our only, our first three-time returning guest. Like, I don't count from back in the day because that was always like a running bit. Haber Show doesn't count from back in the day either. Oh, good. That's great to know that I'm beating him. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have that uh, designation. And, you know, if there's trophies and banners that come with it eventually, that's great. I appreciate it. Love it. Not, not only are you a, a three-time returning guest, you are a three-time returning guest on a top three NBA podcast. Oh, hey. Wow. All right. This is great. Yeah. We, we, we got that designation from a fan and we're going we're gonna to ride that thing out. Absolutely. Let's take that. And I will be sharing that with people you know, on a regular basis now. Love it. I'm totally in. So guys, this, is, uh, this conversation with Abigail today is going to intend to be sort of a wraparound discussion on the future of the NBA series that I've been doing. And thank you again so much to Ben Aronson, friend of the show. Um, in that first episode, talking about the media and Scott Kaplan uh, on Monday, talking about the the economics of the NBA. And Abigail's here because we want to do this wraparound discussion on the fan perspective. And, you know, while she is the host of the Dear Adam Silver podcast, and a lot of you know her from that, she is, of course, a basketball fan. That's, that's why she's here. So, Abigail, kind of want to go through your basketball fandom. Um, where, where and how did it start? Um yeah, let's, let's start there. Where and how did your basketball fandom begin? Yeah, so I was raised in a sort of sports fan family. My my parents are always taking in sports, you know, mostly over the radio, but just there was a lot of fandom there. And I uh, sort of took to that. I think um, I really found that I just was so enthralled with Michael Jordan as a player, as many people were. You know, I was born in 1988. I came of age in like a, a more, I was more aware of things when Michael Jordan came back from playing baseball. Uh, and I think that he just had this huge impact on me, not just from the games, but how he lived in culture outside of the games. Like then when he's in McDonald's commercials and Haynes commercials, I was like, I want Michael Jordan to walk into my house and sit down on the couch and <laughs> hang out with my family and, you know, whatever. And I, so I think that there was definitely, it was a personality driven thing for me. I know at that time, of course, there was a conversation around uh, gambling and other, you know, behavior that, that he was partaking in that might not have been, you know, what the NBA wanted him to be doing. But I wasn't looking at such things right. at that time, you know, and I was thinking about him in the game. And even though I was three when he, you know, when the Chicago Bulls won their first championship, like that that play of him going, you know, switching hands midair and, and putting the ball in and like that call. And, you know, that lives in my life in a very, my brain, my imagination in a very powerful way. And so I just felt connected to him. You know, I, I and then that carried forward to other players as well. Charles Barkley, uh, Anthony Hardaway, um, sorry, Penny Hardaway. <laughs> um, and uh, I think that, um I just, the way that the players engaged with other parts outside of the game, and it was just very powerful for me. So I used to get up on Saturday mornings in California at like 8.30 a.m. to watch the first game of the triple header that you talked about with Ben Aronson. And, you know, I'd have all my snacks and I'd sit in front of the TV for like three hours. I mean, I'd take breaks and stuff like that. And I'm sure my parents were like, what's going on here? Because it was they were fans, but also I was I had this level of obsession. Yeah. But the, these players were magical to me and I didn't want to go to the movies. I didn't want to. It wasn't I, I just I found the basketball to be the most compelling entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so that had a lot that had an impact on my young my young brain. Yeah. Well, I love that. And you, you actually have a prop about your Michael Jordan love. So those of you watching on video, you're going to see this Wheaties box that Abigail owns that says Jordan's back. Jordan's back. Yeah. And actually, I can uh, shake this close to the microphone because this is a, still a full uh, Wheaties box. And um, so and it has on the back all of these headlines. And this was actually a gift to me from an English professor who had collected Wheaties boxes of different right. basketball players and she gave me uh this one before i left arkansas so, so nice. but this is you know kind of the this is my 
young basketball self, what I was drawn to and what was powerful to me. And even, you know, for, I've had the Sports Illustrated framed from when Michael Jordan announced he's back. I'm back. Mm -hmm. Those two words, you know, and it's like Mm -hmm. so powerful, rocked the basketball world. Um, So, I mean, I was seven. (laughs) Like this is, this is, this is stuff that's been around for a while. It's hard to shake. Um, And I don't, I don't necessarily want to, I just want to think about it differently. So yeah, that's what the, that's what the Wendy's box is all about. Yeah. But I think um, that, what you talk about though is so instructive, Abigail, because it's going to be informative to our discussion today. Yes, of course you understood the game of basketball and because of your, you know, and we can be honest about it because of your love for Michael Jordan. um, You wanted him of course to win and do well every time you probably saw him play obviously as a part of that, but what sort of like made this connection to you and him and then thus basketball so real was all the ways he had touch points into your life outside of basketball, right? Right. Not, it's, so we mentioned the triple header on Sunday. On a Tuesday, if you're doing something else, he might pop up on TV in a commercial or, right? And you're like, wait a minute, there he is again. So it was his ubiquity, right? And his, his, again, his presence in the culture that I think makes this so relevant. And this is something that I talked about on the on, on the show. And Ben Aronson had a great comment, I think we could have to start here, in which he said, you know, the culture of basketball is so powerful and so relevant, but I'm not sure people actually enjoy watching basketball or at least not in the same degree to which the relevance is there. And I think that's such an important piece to unpack, Abigail, because there's so much truth there, right? I said it a million times and I'll say it again. The NBA dwarfs the other three major North American sports in social media uh, following and conversation. It's not close, I promise you. Even the mighty NFL. There's just a way in which basketball, NBA in particular, impacts the culture in a way those sports don't. Now, that impact, however, does not translate to television viewership numbers, right? As we talked about, 1.6 million average. I mean, that's nothing. The NBA does like, the NFL NFL game does like 18 or 19. Do you know what I mean? It's just, and, and it's, but it's amazing how that works. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that was a real, I mean, I think that the way Ben said that the other day was really interesting because it just laid it out so perfectly. And I think that sometimes I am guilty of maybe like leaning in so much to the cultural aspect. So something that I I thought about for today is that I really, when I lived in places outside of California, I like love falling asleep to the sounds of the late game, (laughs) Uh, you know, like the Thursday night late game. And it's just, there's something about the uh, NBA, uh, those games that feels like sort of like a warm blanket, you know? And then, and also I love the sound of, I love, you know, the TNT, like uh, the the guys, you know, and and they're like, even though they're not the best takes, I kind of like that they're bad takes to a certain extent. Does that mean I'm getting smarter? Maybe not. Does that mean I'm just like enjoying myself with old friends? Like, or, you know, people, like, I think that that's a huge part of the culture. Um, I don't know how that gets introduced to people that are coming to basketball later on because it's something that you build over time, which is a huge issue. Uh, and that being said, like when I'm watching, when I might fall asleep to the later game, I'm very much watching the first game and I'm thinking, you know, and then I'll check in later on, you know, or the next day. So I think that it's just, um, that is an important thing that is just a difficult way to figure out how to create those eyes, people that are tuning in, that are watching the full game. And I think also sometimes, well, depending on who's playing each other, like it's not always the most compelling game. One of the reasons that I want to watch is because I don't want to miss the moment, the moment that people will be talking about for weeks, months, years out. I want to be there when Kawhi hits the shot against, you know, the Sixers that like that, that moment in basketball history, I want to know where I was when that happened. So you want to watch games because there's a chance a moment like that could happen. I think that um, perhaps there's because there's fewer games in football, and I know that you're, we've talked, you talk about there being fewer games in basketball, that like there's more potential within that game for a big, oh yeah. my God, like whether it's a Hail Mary or whatever it is right, to like right. go down where it's like, ah. Right. And so I think that that sometimes is, is a more difficult thing to get out of each game. But I still want to, I'm still in it, but I think it's, you know, hard to bring people into that um, when it's so often that the games do not have those, those large yeah. moments. 
I mean, yes, of course, the, the scarcity of the NFL makes it so attractive, right? I mean, even now with the expanded schedule um, of you're playing, you know, uh, 17 games, it's still it's only, the only time you're going to see your team. The other piece of it, which we can't ignore, and look, it's just factual. As a whole, we Americans like violence, and football is violent. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know, like, I mean, remember, for years, for decades, ESPN had on their NFL countdown show a segment called Jacked Up, right? Where literally somebody got knocked out in a tackle. And let's all be honest about it, right? Every one of us who are sports fans, somewhere inside of us, we're like, we, we watch that stuff, right? Like it was a thing, yeah. okay? And so there is something about the violent nature of that game that also attracts people to it in a way that basketball doesn't, right? And basketball is a physical game, but it's not, no one's getting like, you know, clotheslined or like it's not that, that's not you know that's not happening in, in in our game in our sport in that way so I think that's a piece that's also very relevant yeah absolutely and I think that that goes to speaks to like the what could happen so it's, it's possible you could see an amazing play it's also possible you could see someone like you know lying on the field for a while after a huge well, hit Damar Hamlin exactly died. <laughs> right and so and you can see and then you'll see it replayed over and over again and they'll be like what's the what's going to happen the, the question and I think that maybe in a sense that the NBA, well, the game of basketball perhaps provides too many answers. Like if you do the maybe versus the NFL versus football, doesn't it's like there's more questions versus the NBA or basketball. Sorry, I'm trying to separate the sport you. from the institution. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important in this conversation is because we have the game that's tied to the institution. We also have the game itself and how it's mm-hmm. meant to be played. And so I think that within football, there might be more questions than answers of what could happen. And within basketball, we might now have more answers than questions. Mm. And that could be, I mean, this is very abstract and I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to think about a concrete example, but I'm wondering if like the, the thrill mm-hmm. is more palpable in football. Yeah. Of Listen. Like, yeah. I, I love that you went there because that is overall what makes sports the best reality television show going, right? Is because coming into it, we have no idea what's going to happen, right? We Prognosticators can make predictions and sometimes they're true and sometimes they're not, right? It's just predicting the future in sports is next to impossible, right? Now, your point about basketball being like, you know, a little bit more certain in some ways, yes, but in also some ways, no, right? And it's the example I always use. Everyone loves to say, Oh, when KD went to the Warriors, they were inevitable. We knew this, this, that, and the third. No, you didn't know. This team should have lost to the Houston Rockets. Chris Paul doesn't injure his hamstring. <laughs> they lose, right? It's just these things like you don't know. Like, yes, now in hindsight, it looks inevitable. But in the moment, I promise you it wasn't. Again, Kawhi Leonard, this team was getting their ass kicked. Kawhi Leonard, the Spurs were up 21 in the fourth quarter. Zaza sticks out his foot. Oh, Kawhi's... Done. Oh well, Warriors win win the win the Western Conference Finals. Like little things that you didn't know, but now when you look back, oh yeah, we knew it all along. No, you didn't know it all along. Well, and I think it's so interesting because the way those two seasons ended was with the Warriors playing the Cavs, which felt more inevitable. Like it felt like the Warriors were mm-hmm. much more dominant in those series than they had been for the rest of the playoffs, getting out of the West. And so I think that there's so much emphasis, and I do this too, and especially because I'm like a defensive Warriors fan. And so I'm like, <laughs> fine, fine, whatever. Like we all knew they were going to win. I'm sorry. So I think that like – you know, thinking of, of the whole season and the whole playoffs is very different than focusing on like the finals, which felt, you know, like they, they were so dominant then. So yeah, we, but we don't know what's going to happen. I think we, like the Warriors proved that in, um, uh, the Raptors proved that in 2019. I mean, I was really stressed out about that series and everyone was like, Oh, stop. They're going to win. Just let the Raptors be excited coming out of the East. And then it was like, and they didn't win. And they didn't win because <laughs> of. The unknown because right. of those X factors where it's like, yes. oh, yeah, all of a sudden we've got people just, you know, Clay and KD just, it was, that was so, that was rough. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, it is, you know, I, I think all of this ties into, you know, the aspect of storytelling in the media. And that's what, you know, Ben and I talked about on, and, and coach on this, on that show and there was a moment this year that I think is, is again, so pinpoint in these playoffs. And I know, Abigail, you want to talk about it. And it was the Giannis moment when they lost to the Miami Heat um, 
in the in the postseason, and Giannis was asked by I want to say it was um, Eric Kareen, if I'm not mistaken, from the yeah athletic. yeah. Um, and he said to Giannis, you know, is would you consider this season a failure because you didn't win a championship? And this is part of the problem, I think. And uh, this is not about Eric. Like Eric's a fantastic uh, journalist, like re- really good uh, writer for the Athletic that covers the Raptors. We do this thing with sports where it's binaries and. Binaries also like work because that's how our brains are. Like everyone likes to think that like, oh, human beings, we're so like, our brains are so complex. Look, we can't multitask despite what you may think you can do. Like, no, all those things make us slow, right? But putting things into boxes are and, and fast processing is easier for us. Someone wins a championship, hero. Someone loses, failure, zero. It's just much easier to work that way. And the media plays into that with how we tell the story of, what happened to this season, right? So the Bucks, best record in the East, lost to the Heat. Oh, well, you must be a failure because obviously you didn't win that we didn't win the championship. And it's like you do realize like no team wins a championship every year. That's actually impossible. Right? Like it's not going to happen. So there's there's degrees to success and falling short of whatever you deem success to be. Right. And I think that it's so, there's so many versions of failure and there's so many versions of success. And Mm -hmm. of course, there's so many NBA players who are fantastic, who, you know, are celebrating in their hometown, have like streets named after them, whatever. It's like such a small percentage of players that even get to play at that level. And then to even get to the playoffs, to even get to the Eastern Conference Finals, Western Conference Finals. And then it's just like, how could it be, how could we have one word to describe the season? And I think that, you know, I've thought differently about that question, you know, as time has passed, because I think at first I was like, I don't like that question. I think that it's, it's, but it's interesting because Giannis gave a really interesting answer that then opened up the conversation, which is really important. I think he handled it really well. He also compared, I think he, he was defensive and he kind of came back at, at Eric, like, well, do you get a promotion every year at your job? And if you don't, do you consider it a failure? And I was thinking about that in relationship to, I think NBA players are not expected, like getting a championship is not given to you the way a promotion might be given to you, but promotion is earned and an NBA championship is earned. But we also define NBA championships in terms of taking something. You're mm-hmm. taking the championship. You're taking it from someone else, another team that just won it, or the players that you're playing against, you're taking that opportunity away from them. And I think that that goes back to what you were talking about with the NFL being more violent, that we want. It's like, if you didn't get there, that's all on you rather than like someone, like there's there's no one on the yeah. other side who's going to give you the Larry O'Brien trophy until that last tick on the clock has run out. And so I think that that was something that I felt like, I don't know about that parallel, but I'm so glad that he maybe, I mean, I don't know how Eric felt about having that back on him (laughs) of like thinking about it compared to his own life. But that like, if we think about these long stretches of time and this labor that they're putting in as a failure at the end, like that just is, that is, um, I can see wanting to come back harder the next year or whatever you need to do, but Mm -hmm. that just feels like that, 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 we could think about it differently and I want to think about it differently. No, I I think you're so right, Abigail. And the the thing about it, and again, this goes back to media and how we tell stories as a collective media. We tell the story that the winner of the current, of the most recent championship. So in this case, the Denver Nuggets. So next year, what do we say? The defending NBA champion Denver Nuggets, right? Okay, but that was last season. 2023-24 season has nothing to do with 22-23. They are two separate seasons. Literally have nothing to do with one another. Everything has changed. Everyone is a year older. Uh, People have moved to different locations. We have no idea how injuries are going to play out. Things just, everything changes, right? Fundamentally. And this is not, you know, um, a person out of college working at Deloitte or Price Waterhouse where, in your first three years, you're an associate. In year four, if you do all these things right, then you make it to senior associate. Then after that, you become. Right? there are clear steps you identify to make your success and win your version of championship, which would be potentially making partner, right? And there's many opportunities to make partner. Not only one person does it. But in sports, particularly in our sport, in the NBA, only one team can win the NBA championship. Not everybody. So... 
you win your division doesn't mean you're going to necessarily be winning the championship. You win your conference doesn't mean none of those things are are connected or interrelated. This is all about over a course of a three month cycle, April, uh, April, May, June. And it's really yeah about, about three months. Who can play the best over those three months? Who has the least amount of injuries? Who, all these different factors, and that is likely who's going to win the championship. It could be the Nuggets again, but that won't be because of last year, right? It'll be because all of these things this year lined up for it to work out for them. It had nothing to do with what happened last year. Right. It's so actually crazy when you say the three month thing, because I realized that like a quarter of the year is spent on the playoffs, <laughs> which is so wild to, mm-hmm. to put it that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, but, but I, I think we like to think about, we like to control things. And that's another way that our brain works and, and act as though we know what might happen. And because this team won this year, it means that they're going to be, you know, have this, this, uh, fight in them to defend that title. And like one of the first things uh, Michael Malone said after they won was like, we hope to be back here many times. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. I also am just going to recognize again, like my experience with the Warriors is not the experience of most fan bases and most teams and you know it's like the 50 celtics the chicago bulls in the 1990s and like the three-peat lakers whatever it's just like the of course there's there's things that can happen that maybe put teams in a better position for winning but all the other teams are trying to put themselves in the best position for winning and it's just it's you can't control so much and so it's like and and i think it's just you know Giannis had just lost as mm-hmm. the as the one seed and mm-hmm. to i think i believe that the way the question was asked felt a little like um like he was having to that it was a little bit like projecting failure on to mm-hmm. him. and so i wonder mm-hmm. if that's the use of the word failure versus maybe using it like how do you feel about the end of the season you know or how did you mm-hmm. feel about mm-hmm. the season overall or something like that rather than being like introducing this word failure which is like a loaded word i think yeah. also that we in general people like to maybe shame each other sometimes like shame bit, is a bit. driving mm-hmm. a, a mm-hmm. way to get people like to do better and and things like that i'm thinking about the school that I was just teaching at in Arkansas, we have like this uh, ceremony when students arrive. It's a really small liberal arts college. And when students arrive, we do a ceremony with them where they sign this honor code, which means that if, if they cheat in class, they're violating this code and they have to, there's a student council that will handle it. As the professor, you don't handle it, but they're, they're pledging and they do it in front of everyone. We light candles and they pledge to be a wow. part of this like sort of intentional community. So we have this ceremony, which I actually think is a really nice thing. But then the provost at the school got up and talked talk to all about the power of shame mm. and what shame can do and how shame is a way to make people sort of I guess be accountable. But I was right. wondering after the speech, I was like, do we just talk to all these incoming freshmen about how great shame is? Like that, yeah, right. that doesn't seem good because also it's, it's a little bit about how they have to like sort of hold each other accountable. And I think that's where right. he was thinking that the shame played in. But I was like, I don't want to, that's not something that I'm interested in being like it purposely shaming anyone. I think right. that there's a way right. that we can have a accountable community without that. And so I felt that, that maybe Giannis felt a little bit of shame in that moment. And, and so that, and so I think that there must be a, there's potentially a better question, but I want to ask you, Gerard, as Mm -hmm. someone who's in that room as, you know, and I think oftentimes I wish that I had, you know, taken a more traditional path with sports where I could have the access that you get to have, you know, you described seeing players on the court like that, you know, sitting so close and, you know, sort of proximity and what that does to your understanding of the game. And then, you know, getting to be in these rooms, I think also, you know, sometimes it's set up where it's like the player versus Mm -hmm. the the crowd of Mm -hmm. journalists Mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. you know, those pictures from the locker room where it's like a, uh, just a, a scrum, gaggle of, yeah. uh, yeah, scrum mm-hmm. of cameras coming at someone. I mean, sometimes it's like, if that feels a l- slightly like alluding to violence to me, you know, it's especially assaulting. Because, assaulting yes. because we have this crossover, I think with like shooting in photography and shooting in, you know, with guns. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I remember when I think of Tom Brady won a Super Bowl a while back and he runs out into the field and is kind of like on the ground for a minute and this, these cameras are like on top of him. And it's so strange to me. So anyways, 
I'm jealous of you. And also I wouldn't want to ask, have asked that question. So I'm wondering like, how do you ask, how do you figure out the good questions? Yeah. So I, I've been fortunate, Abigail, in that, um, it, so uh, um, like you, right. I didn't follow a traditional path into this, right. This is a, a late, uh, you know, it's my third or fourth career, like change into this. Right. And I think age and my own personal experiences and what my years of of being a sports fan and watching have caused me to sort of think about how I approach these questions and how I ask athletes. And it's, I've been fortunate. It's not just NBA. I've been in boxing pressers after big fights. So someone literally just got assaulted and lost, right? Like whatever thing they were, they were fighting for having to ask questions there. NFL, I mean, all, all different types of environments. And for me, what I was always curious as, as, a, as a fan, and of course, I'm still a fan, but now with this journalist hat on is I want the emotion. So I'm not going to, and I'm lucky because I'm not a beat writer, right? So I don't have to fit a quote into a particular story about the game. Like that's not, I'm not here for that, right? I might not even write anything about what just happened, but I just want to get into the mindset. So for me in that instance, I may have said to Giannis, you know, Giannis, as the season just ended, and it's tough to reflect on everything, but go back to the beginning of the year uh, in the preseason when you were training and putting in the hours and the improvements you made in your game. You know, what was the emotional expenditure like from beginning to the beginning of the season, middle, you run through to now, right? And I think that would have allowed him to open up and be much more varied and nuanced in his answer, right? It's like, you know, highs and lows, like you're feeling really good when we're on that 15 game winning streak, da, 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 whatever. And then he's Elliot. And then of course you come into this scenario where you're like, I have this injury, but that's not going to stop me from right. I think that would allow him to give a much more balanced answer than saying, you know, mentioning, and again, I, I, it's not Eric's fault, but throwing in the word failure, because as you know, Abigail, as humans, right? What someone says, right. And what they are implying is often different than what is inferred. Right. Mm-hmm. And often once a buzzword is triggered, that's what the listener then infers and latches onto. So Giannis heard failure, and you saw it in his eyes and the response. He was like, "Oh my god!" Right? Like, and <laughs> it's, it's like just arms like, up, like right. what more can I do? <laughs> so, so immediately once that was there, that's all that was locked in on, and that's not, I don't think, what Eric intended. It was just the word failure. To your point, trigger word, emotional. That's what led us down this path. And again, it's just because. And, and I've, it's not that I ask perfect questions every time. I've asked plenty of dumb questions. And I'm like, and I can, as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, that was just fucking <laughs> Like, it's just, because sometimes you're like, oh, you're jumping in. Can I get mine in right now? And your mind's scrambling over a lot of things. So look, no one's going to ask perfect questions every time, especially in that kind of setting where they want to get to as many questions as possible, right? It's very different than a sit down, one-on-one, 45 minute, right? Where you can actually have a conversation. That's very different than, after a game in the locker room in a scrum. So it, it's a challenge. But again, I always go back to, okay, what's open-ended and what allows them to really um, give me some insight into how they're feeling about something. Yeah. And, and the big picture, because I think that that is what Eric wanted. I think he wanted a big picture answer. And I think that, um, you know, even when Giannis used his name, like Eric, like, do you get a promotion? I was like, these people have a relationship. This is ongoing, of course. So it's like, this is, he's just, he's feeling, he's feeling emotional and he's Mm -hmm. feeling like this is, you know, not like he, like the bigger picture. And I think that if we ask better questions, we can get better stories. And, you know, your quote, I mean, I quoted you to you, (laughs) Um, but now I have to find where I did that. Um, But I think that that's something that uh, was so powerful in that first episode with Ben and Coach Thorpe was like, and it's not just in basketball. It's like in, in, in the news and these different things and like in takes, like I, I think that I find take culture to be really exhausting and, mm-hmm. and, and not the best way, you know, I really, you know, Stephen A came up on your um, episode. Like, I really admire him. Like, I, you know, I like want to go to like a religious, you know, institution <laughs> where he's like in charge. Like, I feel like he could really brainwash me, but I, I also <laughs> am like, I just, like the takes, like my brain doesn't work that quickly. And I, I, I've tried to make it work 
quickly. And so I could have the cool thing to say right away or like the, the most insightful thing to say. And like, sometimes it's much later that I'm making the connection between something else that happened before or, you know, it within, you know, even like you know, we have basketball history and then we have the history of the United States then we have the history of the world. And it's just like wanting things to be flushed out. Like mm-hmm. if we ask better questions, I think we can arrive there um, more often, but it also involves slowing down like you're saying, when you've asked the questions that you've been like, why did I ask that? It's like, you're like trying to, you're like rushing or whatever. You're like getting a question. In. And of course I've experienced that too, even in a more fleshed out space. But I think that that's just, I, I would hope that that's where we could go. This episode of True Hoop is brought to you by BetterHelp. Hey guys, Gerard from True Hoop here. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do? It's a hell of a question. Would you maybe go for a run, take a nap, read a book, or maybe show up for a friend? Now, depending on the day, any one of those would be a great idea. Most of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Now, I've been open in the past with you guys about this. I see a personal therapist as well as a couple therapists for my partner and I. And both are extremely helpful in developing positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com TrueHoop today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TrueHoop. Yeah, no, listen, I, I there is a place for that type of storytelling, I believe. The problem, and not problem, but the, the reality of it is that the take economy exists because we are fighting for attention, right? ESPN and FS1 and all these media outlets want your attention. And in order to get your attention, they got to do salacious things because there are 78 billion other things fighting for your attention space, right? You know, and this is not like old shaking fists at cloud, but it's this idea of the the Atlantic and other long form pieces of journalism. Like the numbers say that people are reading those things less and less, right? They're digesting 10,000 word pieces. Like it's like no one has time for that, right? But I always make the argument, you make time for what you choose to make time for, right? Like if you really want to do that thing, you will, right? But there is this fear that you talk about um, of missing out on something, right? If I'm not on Twitter, I'm going to miss whatever the conversation is about X, Y, Z. And it's, right, it's this constant tug, tug and push, pull, push, pull. But ultimately, that's the take economy, right? So yeah, Stephen A is going to say something outlandish because that's what the take economy incentivized. The clip's going to go viral. Everyone's going to lose their mind on NBA Twitter for like three days. It's going to become the lead story on everything. Every podcast is going to bring it up. Yes. <laughs> and it's and it's that 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 feedback economy we get, right? It's like, oh, KD's on Twitter. He's like, it's like, okay, so now, now it's a thing, right? And it's just, this is the, and once you're caught in it, there's almost no escaping it, yeah. right? And, and I want to be clear, for some people, that's what they want, and that's okay. But there is this other side that you can do as well, which is what we're talking about, right? You can give the, the nuance, the more fleshed out, the more – and it may not be for everybody, right? Only a small subsection may want that. Okay, but how can we give them that, right? And ultimately, when we get to this part of the conversation, how can that part be monetized, right? Because ultimately, that's what this is all about, right? It is keeping the enterprise of the NBA going and the idea about the future of the NBA. And what I talked to Ben about is the BRI comes from broadcast money, right? The deal is uh, allegedly we have we have talks of $5 billion a year. So if the deal lasts eight years, it's a $40 billion deal. We've already talked about how the viewership numbers are down. Advertisers like Ford and Budweiser and whoever are going to, and not this one coming up, but the next deal are going to be like, we're, we're not. We're not going to be able to spend advertising dollars like that on traditional broadcast because you cannot deliver us the eyeballs we want. Okay, so how can we use this other stuff where the culture is so big around the sport and there's so much happening? How can we turn that into revenue opportunities also? Yeah. And I mean, I think that so when you mentioned uh, Hard Knocks, 
as a mm-hmm. great thing that, you know, it's like a seasonal part of the NFL is gearing up. Here we have hard knocks. And then you get to follow that team, you know, through and see, you know, whether, I mean, really, I think mostly it's like, you're like, oh, all these guys' names that I learned <laughs> and all their stories, <laughs> like they're not going to make the playoffs. <laughs> you know, a lot of the time. But I, I find that content to be so compelling. I, and I like those, you know, I think that I go back and forth and we know that like the last episode I was on, I was like, I don't need to hear the coach being like, all right, one more push, you know, because that's like so <laughs> obvious to me. Right. But like, I do think there are some behind the scenes things that are really interesting. Those like nuts and bolts mm-hmm. elements are just like seeing the players mm-hmm. watching the film um, in the, you know, and, and uh, interacting with each other about these little things are like, Hey, like actually over here rather than over there. And so, but yeah, I mean, and the, the tidbits that we do get from games completely controlled. So it's hard to really find that, that honest, you know, footage. Well, you know, it's interesting. Here's what I have a question for you. And I love where we're going with this. Okay. So let's say last season, the Golden State Warriors were the subject of the NBA's version of hard knocks, right? Okay. And instead of like we did this year, where we just got the TMZ leaked video of Draymond walking over and punching Jordan. What if we had the whole entire run and it went back to the previous year of like all the snarky comments Jordan Poole was making, right? And I, this is not about sympathy for Draymond. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> how How is that incident then received after all of that info we got prior to? Now we're like, oh, okay. Well, I, I mean, that's not what I would have done, but I have context now, right? There's context around why this is. And then I can be like, hey, Draymond, but you know, you kind of give it pretty good too and no one comes back at you. So maybe that even makes you dig your heels in more against Draymond. Like that makes you more wrong. But the point is like, it would give us more context. And then to your point that you said on our, our last time you were on, how much of that are we entitled to know? And are we are we allowed to have insight into? And, and this is the, I guess, struggle, right? Because these players are, they're popular. They are, they are, Figures in the culture. Stephen Curry was on stage at the Paramore concert in San Francisco this week singing Misery Business, Killing right? It, like, yeah. I mean, I mean, okay, like, how many, let's, if we do a cross section, how many Paramore fans at that show are also NBA basketball fans and specifically worried? I don't know, but guess what? I bet there are people like, who's that dude? Stephen Curry, number 30. I bet people went home after who were like, oh, whatever. And now they're like, can I find more info on this guy? That was pretty cool, right? Yeah, because he's a touchstone. Like he's yes. he, he and he's no yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I so basically to tie it back, I think that Hard Knocks is asking a larger question. You know, and so we get a more expansive answer. I think that so let's say that footage comes out in a Hard Knocks episode. We have more context for it. Um, you know, the narrator and his fabulous voice has been giving us all the information the whole time. I like love him. Um, So I I think, so I guess I would feel like they knew, they knew this was going to come out. The Warriors as a institution knew, and probably like, you know, Draymond and Jordan Poole knew that all this was going to happen. They knew that they're, well, they, they probably knew about the cameras anyways, but there was like an understanding that like, whatever. And I don't necessarily think that we need the sanitized version and hard knocks or whatever, but I do think that, um, that has more power than just that one scene. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we, we, we react, we're going to react to the one scene. We're going to react to the, the larger, um, the, the larger in, amount of information as well. I just think that the larger amount gives us some more, a chance to understand each other as people more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, what, what draws us into a television show, a movie, a book, what have you. It's conflict, right? That Whether that's internal, it doesn't matter. Some kind of conflict is happening. That is what draws us in. That's what attracts us and fires off and excites parts of our neurons, right? What is the conflict here? Yeah. And yes, in sports, it's very evident, right? It's team A versus team B. That is the con- Yeah, we know that one, right? But over the course of the, is it the team battling amongst itself? You know, again, using your Warriors here because you are, you're, you're a Warriors fan. Imagine the, and I don't know how it would work from a TV standpoint, but smart people figure it out. The Warriors, the final KD year, right? All of that, like, so it was so interesting because the, 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 the weekend before, because I think the, the Draymond KD blow up came on a Monday or a Tuesday mm-hmm. uh, in LA against the Clippers. 
that week prior, they were in New York. And that's when uh, Andre Godala was like, welcome home, KD, like, you know, all the stuff and the billboards. And that's also the same weekend that they had that um, that video of them in the locker room um, making fun of Fergie because of the yes, 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 yeah. And so I'm just like, oh, those th- these images don't like correlate. Like, and then all of a sudden, like a week later or whatever, like you're calling your teammate a, the B word and like, whoa, whoa. And so what what was the subtext underlying? And yes, reporting's come out. We've heard this, that, and the third, but wouldn't it have been nice to kind of see a version of that? Again, maybe not the sanitized or whatever. And there's, and part of it is like the embarrassment of the players. And like, right, they, they're so, they're, they're guarded about certain things. And of course, Adam wanting the league's image not to be one that's negative. And right, and so I get all that, but I think that is of interest to people, right? If yeah. people saw that, they'd be like, holy hell, who knew what the hell? This is like, you know, Fleetwood Mac, like, you know, all over again, like, right? Like, it's just all these different things of like, you know, what the inner workings that are so, and yes, I, I did drop a Fleetwood Mac. No, I appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. I love it. Right? Yeah. I mean, that, that, the, the, everyone knows the backstory behind the Rumors album, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, that is, I mean, if we had like footage, I mean, now we, the stories are well known, like, how compelling is watching that unfold? You're like, oh my God. Right. Of course this band's going to break up. What the hell is going on? Like, yeah. You know, I mean, but I think that's as as human beings, like we we crave things like that, like that excites us because it it gives us back to the binary camps of people to root for. Well, I'm on the side of Stevie. I'm in the basis camp. I'm, mm-hmm. it just right. It, it, it gives you something in someone's. Like, nope, no, I'm here. I'm with this person. Let's also be honest. That's why all those shows like Real Housewives and whatever are so popular, right? You have people who nope, I'm behind this one. Yeah, that's this Jelani brought up Real Housewives before I, I could. You jerk. I was just about to be like, we want Real Housewives. But in I'm, many yeah. ways we do. Right. And because that is, I mean, even when they're doing like, I'm going to go to lunch with my friends and like talk about something mundane, right. but I'm super rich and like, you're going to judge me. It's like, okay, I'll watch that a little bit. You know, or even like the recent Beatles documentary that came out that was all that found footage with very little, what felt like very little editing. I don't know what all the Beatles would say or have to mm-hmm. say, but that, that was really powerful. Cause it was just like, you saw things going down and these, like, you know, the camera and the flowers with, uh, I think Paul and John, I was like, Oh my God, what? You know what I think? Yeah, that was wild. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, in general, I just don't want to spy on people. I want people to know what they're getting themselves into. No doubt. And no so doubt. like, that's my big thing with like the whole TMZ leak was that that felt like this is, um, like, it's, it was private information, but but I also I would think that if someone signed up to be filmed or to have a documentary mm-hmm. made, that mm-hmm. like this is interesting and it's important, and who knows what comes next? Who mm-hmm. we we, mm-hmm. we know what came before, and now we see how this impacted ABC. Oh, now Jordan pulls on the Wizards, whatever, and Clay's talking about how much they miss him on you know Paul George's podcast, and like there's mm-hmm. all these things that you have a better understanding of if we like have that information. I mean, people who sit courtside or close to NBA benches can tell you the things that they hear and see, right? I mean, wild stuff happens there. Now, the NBA cameras don't clue you in on that, but folks, you know when it's a big deal when you see a dust-up happen? It's only because someone caught it. Like, that stuff happens all the time, Yeah. right? Because it's just, there's conflict inherent, right, in a variety of you're taking my minutes. Oh, you're not doing whatever. Give me the ball. Like there's so much push, pull and tug. And and again, how much of that is vital to the overall story that we're telling, right? I mean, again, if you go to the NBA vaults and it's all digitized now, I'm sure all those games of like, whoo, man, the stuff that we, that we haven't seen treasure trove, like (laughs) treasure trove of goodness in there. Yeah. I mean, think, think about the last dance, which is, which is what, uh, Scott Kaplan bought up. Right. And I, it's like, oh yeah, look at wow! Like MJ was kind of a dick to his teammates, right? Like people were like, wow, this guy's just like. I mean, I, of course he approved it, like because he was the, the, the EP, and I'm like, notice that Steve Kerr stuff didn't really make too much of the the way in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know there's video of that fight. I know there is. Like, <laughs> no, what we, we had, what we had, the narrative, the way the narrative was formed, is that like, oh, the they have a bond maybe because of this shared history of violence. Of losing both their fathers to gun violence, we do not have. Yeah, we don't have a lot of like the the violence that played out on the court between them. Correct. But we have that cute footage of 
that way everyone knows of Steve Kerr being like, hey, I'm going to be all open on the whatever, like pass it mm-hmm. to me, you know, like yep, history yep. is changed forever. Of course, you know? of and so I think that, that, um, those tidbits, I love them, you know, and, and they're, and they're so interesting. And, and, you know, I want a last dance for every team for every year, <laughs> to be honest, I, I watched the last dance, um, an embarrassing amount of times. So it was, you know, the beginnings of the pandemic. I actually wore a prom dress to the to watch it on my TV, like when the first episode it. dropped, because I was I like, it. you know, I think maybe this deserves that. But yeah, also it's like Craig Hodges, not a huge part of the last dance. Like, and could we see a version of this from Craig Hodges' perspective that is that Michael Jordan well, is so not the executive producer? That, well, so that's so interesting, right? Because of course Hodges was part of the first three, but not the last. But but his story, right, of why he's no longer in the NBA, right? Like, that's interesting. Like, why don't we know more about that, right? And there's a way, and, you know, this is Henry's whole soul mission, right? And that's the whole point of True Hoop is like, no, I want to tell authentic true stories. Like, if we're going to tell the story, let's tell the whole story, not just a nice sanitized version. It's all, no, no, let's, and there's a way in which I wonder, because, and I've said this before, Part of the deal that we in the collective we fans get into it with sports is the the mythologizing of the of the feet, right? We accept that these players are mythical beings mm. and leap tall buildings and single bounds and da 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 da, and it's just this amazing fantasy life and that right that is the agreement we have made with sports. Well, the actual underbelly of that is it's not all that glitzy and glamorous, right? There's PED stuff. There's gambling. There's illicit behavior, cheating on spouses and partners. Right? Normal human things. That happen every day (laughs) in every other industry. You think it doesn't happen in this one? It does. Right? Like, And so, you know, how much of that is a part of the story and do we need to tell, right? And so I think... It's all it's all related. I mean, you know, going to the money side of it, obviously. Henry's series about the billionaires and how, you know, I mean, my God, the the, the money is always less than six degrees of separation away from the NBA. Right. And some and sometimes not even that. It's one to one. Leon Black and Atlanta Hawks, right? It's like right in front of you. So I I, yes. I just, you know, I I think that there's so much there. And to bring it back to again, the future of the NBA conversation, right? Like how do how does it all work in terms of you know the league and how people want to consume it and view it and how do people and how does the league continue to monetize those things right right because like and ultimately it's going to be a situation where because the, the league can continue to grow right that's just the nature of how things work okay money wise well if in thirty years from now or twenty years from now the Steph Curry of that time right Steph makes like forty something close to fifty million now. Well, that means a player of that caliber is going to be worth $100 million in X amount of years. Okay, where is that money coming from, <laughs> right? Because, again, we don't think it's going to be in the way that it's done now, that traditional broadcast model. Like, yes, the game is still going to be broadcast because we're going to watch it, sure. Right. But there has to be these other areas where the revenue comes from. And is it about all this other stuff around the game? Yeah. It's a good question. And I think yeah. that the NBA would be wise to maybe let – let more let more of the secrets out like in in the sense of in in relationship to hard knocks and things like that like and and because when you think about the impact that like people know memes from the last dance that never watched the last dance you Correct. know it's like so more than more memes come out of the last dance than come out of hard knocks any season mm-hmm. i think so and i took that personally right everyone knows that everyone knows and i took yeah. that personally yeah or i'm even thinking like i read scotty pippen's memoir that came out after the last mm-hmm. dance and at the end of his memoir he's like smoking a cigar looking out into the distance there's this photo of him smoking a cigar it's like he's doing that because michael jordan smoked a cigar at the end of, you know so yeah. i just think that there's like you have one thing like that and then all these other things can be pulled out of it that can live with with people that don't even watch basketball that much, mm-hmm. you know, but maybe paid or, you know, were involved in someone else watching this. And and I think also, and this is just for my own interests, I'm going to advocate for this, is like telling stories about basketball in context of other things that were happening in the world at the time, yeah. like, like mm-hmm. expanding on that because – like that's why I find basketball really compelling as an adult is because I can connect it to the rest of the world. And, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's like that long form thing. And so if we can put 
you know, have um, documentaries or or content that's about that's basketball related, but also connected to like, well, what was happening during that period of time? And like, you know, mm-hmm. Craig Hodges going to the the um, White House and speaking out mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. you know police mm-hmm. violence, like right. in relationship to. Um, you know, uh, Rodney King being killed and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Lakers not speaking out while they're in L.A. Um, mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. what that means and like, the, you know, history of like, yeah. So I just, there's like these very specific times of um, periods of time that I think are really connected to other discussion points that are relevant yeah. to things that are happening right now. And I think there's a lot of power there. And I want to produce that series. So let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No. And I think, you know, Howard Bryant um, does a great job of this in his yes. book, Heritage, right? Where he talks about the lineage of the black athlete um, and their their activism now, right? And so the, 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 the early periods, right, with Lou Alcindor, who of course became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell and players of that era to the Michael Jordan era when the money exploded and Jordan's big thing was like, I ain't doing nothing to mess up this money train. Republicans buy sneakers right? too, yeah. And, 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 and we learned that that quote was like not quite said that sure. way. Kind of, but point being, right, his ultimate, he's like, I am an apex predator capitalist. Ain't nothing getting in the way of this money train. You want me to put on a suit and be corporate and not talk about fine by me. Just make sure you spell billion correct on them checks. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's just, that's the reality of it. Right. Yeah. And that's a huge, And but the thing is like, that was, that is the athlete that defined my sense of athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and what I thought was normal was. To, and not yeah. just you, everyone of a certain generation, of a certain generation. And there's actually a huge amount of artists making work about basketball right now because of that, because athletes lived everywhere for us, you know, and like associated with certain brands, certain songs, all of that. And then all of a sudden it's like, this like sports industrial complex is something to respond to, um, as you know, it's like this cultural, uh, thing beyond the individual that you can respond to through art. So there's, it's like, it's, there's a huge movement of that happening right now that can be traced back to this blowing up and Nike and, you know, like these Mm -hmm, brands mm and, and, um, yeah. And I think that it wasn't until, much later, of course, that I was like, wow, like Mar- Michael Jordan was marketed in a very specific way to me. And, and that is, um, creepy and, and yeah. extremely powerful and made me spend my little allowance on things, you know, and also now <laughs> yeah. spend my like salary on things sometimes. So <laughs> yeah, I actually, so I wrote a poem for my thesis oh, in grad yeah. school about this. Uh, this idea. Um, and I was wondering if I could read it. Uh, read, sure. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Cool. So my, my, my thesis was a lot about basketball, but about connections, like basketball, like what we find um, through basketball and where basketball takes us. So I'm just going to pull it up here. Okay. I've always loved the sport of basketball. It is nonstop excitement, a thrill. I love the dramatic ups and downs, game-changing split seconds where anything can happen, anyone can win or lose or get the flu. One missed shot and it's done, one lost rebound, one bad pass. 48 minutes comes down to five seconds. This means heartbreak, disappointment, anger, and sometimes elation from fans and players alike. But I was never tall or even strong, or maybe I was not determined, and I could never handle the competition. But I used to play. I used to shoot hoops and win knockout. I had the shot, one girl said. We were in summer basketball camp at a Catholic school, and I kept winning contests. I just stared at the hoop and never blinked. My shots fell, barely making a swish, barely making a whisper. So maybe for a few minutes when I was eight years old and Michael Jordan had just come back to basketball after his father was shot and killed and he had played baseball for a year, I believed I could be the first woman in the NBA. He had taught me to be a believer. At the time, it seemed as though maybe there was a chance that I could meet, play next to, pass the ball to Michael Jordan. To be cliche, he made me feel some kind of way. My feelings for him were more than platonic. He was my first crush, but I believed we might someday get the chance to be on the same team, maybe vacation in Monte Carlo and play golf together. I love it. Now I am 20 years past those hopes, but I'm still in love with layups and teardrops and no-look passes and three-point shots from 30 feet out and alley-oops. But I know now that I wanted to pass the ball to an idea. So I feel like it's this idea. First of all, wait, 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 wait. That was beautiful. That was a lovely, lovely poem. Number one. Now continue. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I think that 
the the realization that it was an idea of a person that I had that I so longed to be close to. He was he's real. Of course, he's three dimensional. He wakes up every day like I do for now. But mm-hmm. I what I what I longed to be close to was an idea. And I think that that's true of basketball too. I mean, there's the game and the whistles and the clock and the rules. And then there's this larger thing of like, what does it all mean? Mm-hmm. And that's what I that's what I long for too. Well, that right there. Um, Abigail, that encapsulates really the perspective I wanted from the beginning of this show, which I talked about, which is the fan. That is what made you a fan. It's this idea of a thing, right? Now, maybe like cynical is the wrong word, but as a experienced adult now, you now realize, well, that idea was not a real fully formed thing, right? Because that's not who he actually is, right? Like the, the three dimensional version of him is far more complex. And there are ugly parts and not great parts and right. But you didn't see that version. You just saw the idealized, like perfect version. Yeah. And that is, and I, so I wonder, is that the version that we need still to hook fans to sports or can we get a more whole, and you're never going to get the whole thing, right? You're never going to get everything, but is, is, is seeing more of the warts, is that, is, is, is that better? And, it, it, you know, I thought about that as you were reading it and I was thinking about the idealized version. And it was the time that the one and only time I met Kobe and had a conversation with him it was on the red carpet of Tribeca Film Festival. And he was uh, debuting Dear Basketball, mm. the, the short which he won the Academy Award for. And I said, you know, Kobe, animation is an interesting choice to tell this particular story. Like, why did you choose that? And I thought he gave a thoughtful answer. He's like, well, with animation and the hand drawing, you can see all the imperfections. And I was like, huh. Like it, 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 one of those things that just kind of like I always filed it away in the back of my head. I was like, "This is this is a guy who thinks about things on a, on, on a level that I don't know that people really get." And I wonder again. So turning it back to the whole reason this conversation, the future of the league, yeah, yeah. taking it all in. Do we want to see the imperfections? Is that good for us? Is that helpful? Yeah. Uh, for me, yeah, like wholeheartedly. Yeah. The NBA cannot survive if I'm the only one watching the TNT games and <laughs> <laughs> the NBA on TNT and like laughing at Charles Barkley's bad takes. Like, so when I'm saying this, I, I think that I'm I'm thinking about someone who like I care. I care about the league. I care about the longevity of the league. I care about you know, um, you know. The, the product long term. Um, so I, I want it to be good and I want it to be interesting. And also like, you know, I think this, um, I, I think it's okay to be critical of like where they could do better, you know, things like that. Uh, the other day you were mentioning that, you know, sometimes the talking heads are too critical. And, and I, I agree with that. And there's a, there's, some, there's a lot of anger sometimes, but with Jeff Van Gundy, I, I actually enjoyed sometimes that he, I, I felt like his critiques were always coming from a a place of love, perhaps a deep right. investment in the game, wanting yeah. it to be better because you love this thing so much. Um, so, um, oh no, the question. <laughs> take me back. Take me back. The, 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 the imperfections. The like imperfections. Yes. So I think that I I, I want to embrace those because I love this thing, um, and I also think that they are they're enticing. They're interesting. I, I don't think we need a sanitized understanding of a, of a player, of a person, a, a, an institution. I, um, I know that there's so many, like where there's a lot of money, there's like a lot of fucked up shit happening. And that's just like the way things go. The world works, the yeah. world works completely. And, and I don't think that the NBA can, as in, I just don't know how to make them not be a part of that when all there's all this they, money they floating can't. around. Yeah. And I mean, that's the documentary I want to see. I mean, essentially what Henry <laughs> wrote, like as a visual thing. Um, but I, I guess I just, yeah, like I want all of it. I want all of it together and I want to hold these things together. You know, I think to, to contrast these things of like, we had the, we have like sideline questions, like, you know, mm-hmm. questions that, that journalists um, are asking, uh, sideline reporters are asking. And I'm always like jealous of the sideline reporters, just like I was jealous of you until they ask their questions on the sideline. And then I'm like, I don't think that's a great question. I love your analysis, but like you are having to ask questions that I think we know what is going to be answered with this. Um, and, and that's how that system works is they ask a question. Question right. and it's very mm-hmm. you know very easy to formulaic. answer formulaic mm-hmm. and so one thing that was powerful about that uh, Giannis moment is that 
like it wasn't formulaic. It was just like, like he was just mm-hmm. like, what's going on? And he, he answered in this very authentic way. And he was kind of trying to gather his thoughts while answering. And that was really powerful to see that. Um, I think that, you know, imagine if someone asked that like before the third quarter, like, how do you, what do you think of your failures like from the first three quarters or, something, or whatever, you know? Right, so right. I think that like those heavy hitting, those, but maybe with more nuanced questions are, are what give us the like powerful reactions. So yeah. I don't want the sideline reporter version of content. Right, right. And I also don't want to violate anyone's private Honestly. interactions yeah. with people that they yeah. probably, like I'm sure Draymond cares about Jordan Poole, you know? So right, like, I don't right. want to be inserted into their personal relationship. Yeah. Anyway, so it's somewhere in between lies, like sign the waiver and then I'll watch whatever, you know? <laughs> like, But I think that those, they, that's where it's interesting. And, and that yeah. plus the game, plus the buzzer beater shot, plus Steven Adams throwing a, you know, court long pass to John Moran, just boop. Mm-hmm. It's like that is that's all that's all that's the answer that's that no you're right that that is the answer it it just you know and this is a good place to to wrap um it it, it just there's so much to this and we didn't haven't even gotten into the you know the changing uh, the changing situation in terms of the betting aspect of it the the gambling aspect espn now being in bed with Penn and taking that money because they desperately need cash obviously and with expansion coming in the NBA, we know Las Vegas and Seattle are the two cities, and we already know is a short list of people who can pay those three to five billion dollar expansion fees. And we know one of them, right? We know it's the Saudi Public Investment Fund, right? So, uh, what do we get? I mean, Adam's not going to say no. Yeah. He, first of all, he can't because he doesn't have that power. If the other twenty, the thirty governors say we're taking the money, and we know they're going to say yes, guess what? Saudi Saudi is going to own a basketball team. It just is what it is, right. and that will then present a whole other level of issues. But I'm sure we'll discuss that in the time to come. Abigail, this was a fun conversation. I, I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Yeah, Gerard, I always laugh with you, and thanks for indulging all my <laughs> my weird basketball approaches, and it's just fun to chit-chat. All good. All right, guys. Um, that'll put a wrap on our The Future of the NBA series. We'll do more stuff with this, of course, because this is True Hoop um, as we go on. But uh, everyone have a great weekend and we'll see you next week. Take care.